All right, get your Bibles out to um, Matthew chapter 17. I hope you're enjoying as much as I am, just the, the awe, the wonder, the mystery of this whole holiday season. You know, we're transitioning, and, and I just got to pause, by the way, too, to thank everybody in the midst of crazy uh, Christmas schedules and holiday schedules for the, the multitude of hands that came and transformed our entire building uh, and turned it into uh, this wonderful celebration that you see on the stage. Uh, I'm grateful for your time. But there's something about uh, this season that draws our attention to two of the attributes we've been talking about over the last few weeks the transcendence of God, the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the otherness of God, and then the fact that God has chosen to come near to us. And of course, that's what we celebrate. If, if there's a message for the Christmas season, if there's something that we stand in awe of during the Christmas season, is it not the fact that that God we've been exalting and, and talking about his greatness, his transcendence, that that God would choose to identify himself with us, not just momentarily, but forever. How many of you know Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man, forever? And the Bible declares that after his resurrection from the dead, the scars, the disciples saw the scars on his body, and that was his resurrection body. So Jesus is willingly embracing the scars of his crucifixion and suffering for us forever as Jesus Christ, the God-man. That's stunning. And we had just started our class in the Roar on the Nature and Attributes of God, and we were talking about God being spirit, that God is a spirit, which means he is not bound in any way, shape, or form. And when you think of God taking on one of these, the one who could, the universe could not contain nor anything else contain who he is, and him humbling himself so much that he would take on human flesh so that he could come and be our Savior be our friend, call us into relationship with himself. I mean, these are stunning, stunning times in which we're celebrating. We're, re we're really walking on holy ground and on stuff that uh, is mind-blowing for those who have eyes to see and hearts that really want to hear it. And so I'm encouraging us, let's, let's bask in the glory of our great God during this season, especially as we begin to look a little bit this morning about the imminence or nearness of God. You know, we've been talking about how our feeble attempts to understand the greatness of God are kind of like, I, I saw this illustration, I thought it was good. It's kind of like if you have an iPad and an ant runs across the top of the iPad. How many of you know that ant is experiencing the iPad? But not at the depth of, of which that ant could experience the fullness of that iPad if, the, if, the, if it were a human being, especially if the person had the intelligence to develop the iPad. Are you with me? Most, I, I'm one step above the ant, by the way, in my understanding of what I'm dealing with, all right? But an ant running across an iPad would give you a pretty clear indication of, of our lack of depth of our intimacy with God when it comes to really knowing Him or our ability to grasp. How many of you know the finite has a hard time grasping the infinite? And, and so we should always be standing in a position of awe as it relates to God. We should, our posture before him should always be one of humility. We mentioned that God is a dangerous God. We saw demonstrations of that. He's not a God to be played with. He's not a Santa Claus. He's not a little old man. But the good news is this God who's dangerous is also loving. We said God isn't safe, but he is a good God. And I want to highlight today, I like to take moments just where I can interject some good biblical worldview and highlight the beauty of the Christian worldview. Because, you know, I was, I was mocking a few weeks back how insulting it is to the creator of the universe to be put on a bumper sticker 
where Christianity is compared with all other religions and treated as the same. It's highly insulting to the God of the Bible who does not allow himself to be put on that level. But here's the deal. When you look at Islam, Islam pushes the transcendence of God to one far extreme. In other words, under Islam, God is, is technically unknowable. You don't have a personal relationship with that God. He's certainly not a father. Allah is not a father. Allah is somebody to be feared. Allah is not a kind, compassionate God. Allah is a harsh, cruel God. Uh, and they push transcendence to an extreme to where that God is fundamentally unknowable. On the other hand, if you look at Hinduism and what Hindus believe, you see a God who is pantheistic, a God who is in everything. You see cows walking down the street that are sacred. You can go in temples and worship a myriad of things that they worship. Uh, rivers get worshipped. Uh, part of the parts of creation get worshipped because the God of the Hindus is a God who is extreme on the imminent side. It's a God who's everywhere in everything and everyone. And how many of you know if God is everywhere in everything and everyone, God is really nothing and unknowable? Because you cannot know a God like that. In other words, God is so near and everything is unappreciated because his glory gets trampled in the dust of normal life and very common things. God is not set apart. God is very common in that worldview. But how many of you know it's only in Christianity that the transcendence of God and the imminence of God come and they kiss together. And this holiday season, as we ramp up to Christmas, this is the time of year when that kiss is the loudest, when the beauty of God's imminence is the greatest. And I want to make sure that we get the most we can possibly get out of it. How many of you have found this to be true? It's only when we're awestruck by the majesty of God's greatness that we can be overwhelmed by his intimacy with us and his love for us. In fact, without a healthy respect for God's greatness, his, his great love often goes unappreciated or we take it for granted. But when God is great, when God is big, when God is other, when God is powerful and mighty and glorious and majestic and mysterious, uh, that's when we are most stunned and in awe of his great love for us. And I want us to have that awe burning in our hearts this morning. Let me give you a couple examples in the Bible that show you in, in just verse after verse God's transcendence balanced with his imminence. Go ahead and look with me. It should be on the screen. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 10 and 11. It says, yes, the sovereign Lord. There's that, there's that transcendence again. Sovereign Lord. Notice he's coming in power. Once again, transcendence being highlighted. God's going to rule with a powerful arm. You hear the transcendence of God screaming in this verse. So see, he brings his reward with him as he comes. But look at verse 11. Here's where the imminence begins to cry out. God will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms. This is an amazing God who stoops down and picks up weak sheep, weak little lambs, weak little people. And he loves us and he holds us in his arms. His strong, transcendent, mighty arms, but his arms. And notice what he does when he picks us up. He holds us close to his heart. And look what it says next. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. This is the mercy and the compassion and the imminence of this God who's so close to us and who loves us so well. Take a look at Jeremiah 23, one more example before we get into Matthew 17 this morning. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. Listen to what God says here. Am I a God who is only close at hand? In other words, am I just imminent alone, says the Lord? He says, no, I am far away at the same time. I am transcendent. 
Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? God says, is there any place that you can go and run where his presence will not be there or his awareness of you will not be there? Of course, the answer is no. He says, am I not everywhere in all the heavens and all the earth, says the Lord. That's again his transcendence being balanced perfectly with his eminence. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I want us to go to an amazing passage of scripture today. Matthew 17 in your Bible, you'll probably see a heading, something like this, the transfiguration or something of that nature. But it's an amazing passage of Scripture where Jesus Christ is revealed by God the Father as somebody unique and close and imminent, but also somebody transcendent and awesome. Matthew 17, verse 1. Start reading with me. It says, Six days after Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and he led them up a high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched... Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, the Bible says, Moses and Elijah appeared and they began to talk with Jesus. Now, this passage as well, or this transfiguration is also in Mark's gospel, it's also in Luke's gospel, and if you compare those, Luke reveals what Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking about. They were talking about Jesus' death that was just around the corner. They were talking about his exodus from this world uh, and his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. Peter also interjects something, or actually Luke interjects something in his gospel. He says right before Moses and Elijah showed up, uh, Peter, James, and John were doing what they did best. They were sleeping, uh, which I cracked up because Jesus had key moments in his ministry would invite the key guys around him to come and to be with him. And invariably, at the best moment, the biggest moment, they were falling into human weakness and uh, were completely out of the picture. So Peter and James and John were sleeping. Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus. They're awakened, and look what happens in verse 4. Peter exclaims, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make us three shelters as memorials. I'll make one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I like it because Luke's gospel adds this little element as to why Peter was opening his mouth at the wrong time again. How many of you know Peter had a habit of doing this? Invariably, at just the wrong moment, Peter would offer his bit of wisdom that was never very wise. And once again, he, he's talking, but it, it kind of gives us a little sympathy for, for Peter because this is what Mark said in his gospel, Mark 9, verse 6. He said this, meaning Peter said this, because he really didn't know what else to say for they were all terrified. Have you ever been in a situation where you're just freaking out and out of your mouth comes something that later upon reflection you were like, that was really stupid? Well, this was one of those moments. But at least we know why they were freaking out. If you saw what they had just seen, it would cause quite a bit of, of shall we say, awe or terror to be uh, elicited in our hearts. goes on in verse 5. Even as he spoke, Peter's talking here, blah, 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 blah. God interrupts him, and here's what happens. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said this, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy or pleasure. Listen to him. And verse 6 says the disciples were terrified, and they fell face down on the ground. Luke tells us even as God was speaking, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror, the Bible says, gripped their hearts. And look at verse 7. Then Jesus came over, and he touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, 
and they saw only Jesus. Now, this is incredible. What we have here in the transfiguration is a picture of the glory and the greatness and the divinity of Jesus Christ literally busting out of this physical body. Now, how many of you know when you try to contain the glory of God in a bod like this, uh, you're, you're doing something? And the fact that Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians 2, set aside his divine attributes, humbled himself, came to earth as one of us, lived in a human body, had a human spirit, the fact that he chose to contain the glory of the greatness of who he was in a human body is a miracle in and of itself, because how many of you know you cannot keep that contained? Have you ever, any of you ever been uh, around a fire, and maybe you throw a box or something in the fire, and when it first lands on top, it doesn't look any different? But what's happening is underneath that box top, something is burning, and soon enough, the, 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 the uh, container begins to kind of wilt and change shape. It begins to be transformed. Eventually, you start to see the color change, and before long, in fact, it's just a moment when you have a nice hot fire. What happens? The fiery flame from what was inside begins to bust through the, that container, whatever it is is trying to shield it or veil it. This is exactly what is happening. God is allowing the greatness of Jesus to be revealed to everybody there that's looking. And so much so that they looked at him, that he was transformed. The Bible says a couple things about him, and I want, to, I want you to look at this with me. As the men watch, we see this transformation happening in Jesus' appearance. The Bible says his face was shining like the sun at noonday. And when they look, and it says, um, let me get back here, uh, his clothes became as white as light. When you think about light or you think about the sun shining, certain things come to our mind. We think about brightness. We think about purity. We think about holiness. What's literally coming out of Jesus' body is the greatness of his person, the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So a transformation is happening. This transformation, let me just mention this. You know, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God bring Peter, James, and John up there for this great display of power? Why not all of them? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. Those three saw something that forever left an impression on their lives. And can anybody in this room agree with me that if you've ever been in a meeting or a gathering place where the Lord's presence has been powerful or God's ever spoken to you in an intimate way, those are situations that you never, ever forget. To be in the presence of the greatness of Jesus and to come away untouched means you haven't really been in his presence because you cannot not be impacted by an encounter with, with the Son of God. Every one of us should cry out for more. Every one of us should be asking the Lord to reveal himself more. Notice the context of this revelation. They went away alone to a high mountain to pray. I want to suggest to you that if you want more of Jesus, get alone, get away in his presence, pray, cry out to God, worship him with no sense of expectations but a high degree of expectancy. Are you with me? That we're hungry for more of his presence. We want to know him. And I want you to see that this was so powerful that John, when he starts off his gospel, he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son that burned in his heart forever. He never forgot that. In fact, when he was on the Isle of Patmos, and let me just mention this, every one of the disciples gave their lives for the sake of Jesus, 
How many of you know you don't give up your life for a lie? You don't give up your life for a fake or a phony? Uh, I guarantee you, Peter, James, and John, and also the rest of them, but certainly Peter, James, and John never forgot the glory of God. John was thrown in a a vat of boiling hot oil to be tortured, and he was the only disciple who survived all of the, uh, the martyrdom. That's why he's on the Isle of Patmos when he sees this revelation, because Amazingly, uh, the oil, boiling oil did not kill him. In fact, it didn't even harm him. It was like Daniel in the lion's den. And so this is the revelation John sees at the second coming of Jesus. And I want you to see that this was a foretaste on this mountain of what was yet to come. Revelation chapter 1. His head, talking about Jesus, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes, when he looked into Jesus' eyes, were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice thundered, not because he was yelling, but because it was a voice of absolute authority that was speaking. A voice sounded like thunder, like mighty ocean waves crashing against the rocks. He had held seven stars in his hand, and sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And look at how this passage ends. His face, the face of Jesus was like the sun in all of its brilliance. Isn't this amazing? Later, Peter wrote this in his epistle. This is 2 Peter 1, verses 16 through 18. Peter says, hey folks, we're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were likening the revelation that they had of his glory as if he had already came again. It was like the second coming. It says, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. Majestic splendor. The English language is straining under the weight of trying to explain what infinite greatness and glory looks like. Notice, we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the, I'm sorry, the voice from the majestic glory of God said this, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And look at verse 18. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. That was such a dramatic encounter that it never, ever left their minds. And I just want to encourage you, while we have the word of God, while we have the spirit of God, uh, while we have the people of God, how many of you know you're never wrong to keep pursuing more of the Lord, more of his glory, hungering for more of his presence? That, in fact, honors the Lord. So I want you to see here a couple of things. There was a transformation. Secondly, there was a visitation. The Bible says Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, we don't know the details. We do know they were talking about the crucifixion that was just around the corner. In fact, just prior to this passage, Jesus just got done telling the disciples, if you're going to follow me, you're going to need to to lay it all down. You're going to need to give up your life. You're going to need to embrace my life. He laid down the cost, and he told them, I'm about to be crucified. Now again, isn't it interesting, the disciples had a hard time understanding anything Jesus said until the Holy Spirit was poured out. They were pretty dense, as we would be. They were still not getting it. In fact, you remember that was one of the great moments in Peter's you know, history of blunders when he put his foot in his mouth, when he said, oh no, no, Jesus, you're not going to be crucified. We're not going to allow that to happen. And you remember Jesus said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. What you're saying is, is completely going against God's purpose for my life. And Jesus rebuked him. But now Moses shows up, Elijah shows up, and Jesus is full ablaze in the glory of of God. 
And they're talking about his crucifixion. I'd like to suggest to you something that might have been a discussion maybe going something like this. Why is Moses there, for instance? Well, Moses is the epitome of the law. Moses is the embodiment of the law. How many of you know the law was good? Thumbs up on the law. Did God ever create a law that was bad? No. Every law of God is a reflection of who he is. It's his goodness. It's his perfection. But how many of you know the problem wasn't with the law, it was with us. So I have a feeling Moses was saying something like this. You know, Jesus, I'm here to encourage your heart. You're here to encourage the disciples' heart, but we're here to encourage your heart because you know what? You have lived a perfect, sinless life, and if you fail to accomplish your mission, none of us have any hope, including me, talking about Moses, the one who, gave, who spoke, the, spoke the law. None of us have any hope. I mean, you know, if Jesus comes up short we're hopeless. Every one of us in this room is hopeless. There is no other Savior. There is no other Lord. There is no other way. We're hopeless. So I can see Moses saying, come on, Jesus, finish the race. Not that Jesus was weaker thinking that he wasn't, but I could just see him encouraging him. How about Elijah, the epitome of all the prophetic voice of God through the Old Testament, all the thus saith the Lord of God embodied in this prophet Isaiah. How many of you know he looks at Jesus and probably says, Jesus, you're the fulfillment of everything me and all the other prophets prophesied. You are the fulfillment of all of them. You're the Messiah. You're every one of those Old Testament names of Jesus perfectly fulfilled. And how many of you know Jesus is standing in front of the law and the prophets and having in himself perfectly fulfilled all the requirements of the law and the prophets? This is an awesome moment. I mean, the greatness of Jesus and the greatness of these two people on a lower plane standing before him uh, and Jesus standing and and all the disciples seeing all this going on, it's stunning. And I want you to see what happens next because this is awesome. God makes a declaration. How many of you know when God speaks with authority and makes a declaration, we need to to, uh, tune our ears in and listen up? This is what it says about God's declaration. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said this. Let me suggest to you that if you've ever been outside on a summer day when there's not a cloud in the sky and the sun's at full strength, number one, you cannot look upon that sun without having to squint and turn your eyes away because of the power of of the sun's rays. But how many of you know on a cold or on a a cooler summer day when the clouds are are providing a little cover, you're able to enjoy the sun at a, a much easier clip? This is what's happening here. If God shows up in the fullness of his power and glory, how many of you know those guys are gone? Um, So how does God show up? He shows up in a cloud and speaks out of the cloud. It's a shield, it's a buffer zone uh, around us, keeping us from the immediate presence of God Almighty. And I want you to see something as as we wrap up this morning. God is about to set apart his son in such a unique way that we need to really listen carefully and take heed. God is going to share three things about his son and the imminence of his son, the closeness of his son, the way we relate to the fact that God has come to live among us. Three things that we got to make sure we don't miss. The first thing that we see about Jesus is a declaration about how beloved he is. This is the beloved son. The Bible says this, God screams out loud, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Sometimes people get this idea that somehow before God created, he was lonely or he was all by himself. I want to assure you that God's never been lonely for one millisecond of his life. Of course, God doesn't have life. He is life. But I'm trying to use English language and limited language to explain what's infinite. 
God is eternal, and he has existed as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from day one, and will continue to do so forever. God's not lonely. In fact, how many know the Bible says God is love? If I said, Tony, Tony has love, for Tony to have love, it would mean, (coughs) excuse me, he has to be able to demonstrate that love. There has to be an object of his affection to be someone who possesses love. Otherwise, we wouldn't know. Are you with me? God's not dependent upon any of us to be loving. God is love because in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is an amazing relationship of love that has existed forever. God creates us as the overflow of his love for himself. God's not lonely. God's not up there going, man, I just wish I had some people down here to hang out with. We are the overflow of the greatness of God. We are the fact that God could not keep himself to himself. And that God wants to share his glory with us. This is pretty awesome. And when God looks at Jesus, this is what comes out. If you could imagine, I wish we had ears to hear. Imagine the voice that sounds like thunder saying, this is my son. I love him. And how about this? He brings me pleasure. Can I just suggest to you that in addition to setting apart Jesus in a very special place, what God just modeled for us was great fatherhood. Every one of us as children, and we've all been sons and daughters before we've been grown people with kids or grandparents or whatever sitting there. How many of you, every one of us was a son or a daughter um, at one point that's here? And every one of us has the same cry in our heart. You know what that cry is? It's to be loved. It's to be valued. It's to have somebody be proud of us. You know, I was thinking back at my father, who was a great father to me, is a great father to me. But I was thinking back when I was a, a little person. I remember one time we were at a, a school event, and I played sports and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I did something uh, well for a change. And somebody came up, and they, I was standing by my father afterwards, and, um, and they came up to me, and they said this, Oh, you must be so proud of your son. And they were referring to whatever it was that I did. And I'll never forget this. In front of all those people that were there in that group, my dad said, I'm proud of my son. They said, thank you. He was gracious. He wasn't smart. But he said, thank you. He said, but I'm proud of my son for who he is, not for whatever he does. And I stood there like, how many of you know, every one of us wants to know that we bring our father pleasure and joy. And that our dad's proud of us. I remember a time when I was standing up for the Lord in my high school days, right after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I started really witnessing and really changing my tune and really living for God, and some of my friends went different directions. And I still remember kneeling next to my bed one night after a football game. I'd been with the Lord, I'd been worshiping, and I was next to the Lord, and and I was crying because I just felt lonely. Next thing I know, my door opens up. I hear these feet making their way across the hardwood floors, and my father kneels down next to me, puts his arm around me. He says, I just want you to know, I'm proud of you, and I love you, and Jesus is proud of you. And then he hugged me, and then he got up and walked out. There was something of heaven that came in to my heart. I'm just telling you, God modeled for us what his affections are towards you as sons and daughters. 
that he loves you, that he's proud of you. But his love and pride are most pronounced in the love that he has for his son. Which, listen to me, if you want to make sure, if you hear anything from this message, what God is saying right there is this. This kind of person, this life right here, is the kind of life I love. Which means to me this. If you want to experience the full affection of your Father, be like Jesus Christ. If you want to live a life that's God-pleasing, be like Jesus Christ, the the one who God spoke out verbally and said, this guy right here, this, this is my son, he brings me pleasure. I mean, you know, the, the, the sole objective of our lives should be to walk in the full love and embrace of our Father and to bring Him pleasure. Is this not the case? And there's not a father in this room, if you're estranged from a son or daughter, there's not a father in this room that doesn't want to be able to look into the face of their own son or daughter and to be able to communicate, I love you and I'm proud of you and you bring me pleasure and joy because that's what fathers were made to do. And I just want to encourage us men, I'll be speaking to all the men in here, if you, if you have not said that to your children recently, sat them down, looked them in the face, and said, I want you to know I love you, and I want you to know I'm proud of you. There's no time like now to release those words. And I'll just say this, if you're a son in this room, and you have never heard that from an earthly father, or you're a daughter in this room, and you've never heard that from an earthly father, I want to double dog dare you, I want to challenge you to come up at the end of the service and let us speak over your life, the Father's heart over your life. It will be powerful. Also, I want to say this. This is a a marital tip. One of the best things we can do in our marriages is learn how to cherish our spouse. What does that mean? It means that when you're in the presence of your spouse, they should feel delighted in, and they should feel the joy that's in your heart when you're with them. Y'all know the difference between being tolerated and being celebrated? (laughs) Just asking. Tolerated means you're sometimes an irritant, sometimes you're a bother, sometimes I don't really want to be around you. Um, Do you know that what we're longing for more than anything is to have be in the presence of somebody who, when they look at us, they're like, you know what, you just bring me such joy just being around you. This is what's coming off God's heart for his son. He's bursting with fatherly pride over Jesus. And I want to, I'm going to move quickly here, but two more points, quickly. His beloved son. The second thing I want you to see is this is the preeminent son. And if you get nothing out of this message, please take this home. Because this is what God says, and I want you to hear the voice of God. Listen to what God says. Listen to him. Remember, Peter's going, blah, 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 I'll build one for you, I'll build one for you, and Jesus, God shows up with a cloud and begins speaking, and this is what God says, listen to him! I want to just drive home the force, I don't think God was yelling, I have to yell to drive the force home, but when God opens his mouth, there's authority, and there's power, and there's greatness, and he says, listen to him! I love him, he pleases me, listen to him! Listen to him! This is a message to a dark planet during this season. Listen to the sun. Why do we listen to the sun? Let me give you some reasons why. 
The Bible says Jesus is the true light that has come into this dark world. Listen to him. The Bible says Jesus is the blazing center of reality and the revelation of God's heart to this planet. Listen to him. He's the Lamb of God who sheds his blood to take away the sins of the world. Listen to him. He's the only mediator between God and us. Listen to Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, the life. Listen to him. He holds the keys in his hand of life and death and judgment. Listen to him. He's the judge of the living and the dead. Listen to Jesus. He's the preeminent one who has authority in all things. Listen to him. And he is the beloved of the Father. He is the darling of heaven. He is the one who brings God joy. Listen to him is what God says. I pray that our ears would be in tune during this season as you spend time with him, as you get into the word, that there's nothing more important. This is God shouting from heaven, this message, listen to my son. Why listen to his son? Because God has chosen to speak in this day, not through the prophets of old, but through his son, Hebrews tells us, Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you, this right here sets Jesus Christ apart from any other pretender, any other religion, any other voice of authority, any other religious leader, any other voice in planet earth, every demon in hell, every demonic voice on the planet. God says, listen to this man's voice right here. Because when you hear him, you hear me speaking with authority. This should elevate the voice of God. And let me just say this, it should elevate the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. It puts this at a whole other level of any other thing we compete with. I mentioned this first service, I'm going to mention it quickly. I got a call this week from a friend of mine down in southern Indiana, from a football coach at uh, Evansville Reitz High School. Some of you might have seen it, made the national news. His crime was that he was actually having prayer with the young men on his football team, either before the game or after the game. It was completely voluntary. And he had, you know, everybody coming out and joining him on the field as they prayed. And, uh, and now the school is threatening being sued. What's, what's the crime? Uh, praying. Uh, somehow that we're no longer to, allowed to pray in public places uh, or at schools or this type of thing, which of course is ridiculous. It's never been a part of our church or of our uh, nation's history until recent years. But this superintendent, under great op- uh, oppression and under great attack, said, you know what? I'm not going to stop this from happening. If you want to s- sue our school system, then go ahead. But we're going to allow these young people and this coach to continue to practice this. There's nothing the matter with that. Amen. Um, So I told him on our Indiana Pastors Alliance webpage, I would put this superintendent of schools uh, number because the superintendent, I think I said principal, it's the superintendent uh, of schools that is making a courageous stand. And how many of you know when you make a courageous stand, you need people that will stand with you. And they need to hear from people that are saying great job. So I want to encourage you, go to the Indiana Pastors Alliance Facebook page and or call the church here, get that number, but we're going we're gonna to post that publicly. I'll even put it up on our Living Stones page. Please call the superintendent and just uh, leave it. You probably leave a message anyway. Just say, hey, I'm thanking you for the stand that you took allowing the coach and those students to pray. Because here's the deal. 
Thus saith the Lord, listen to him, is much more important than any of the words of any man or any court or any wacko group that's trying to shut up our religious liberties. Let me end with this. After this incredible demonstration of shock and awe, clouds, thunder of God's voice, Jesus busting out of this earthly container, a light so bright you couldn't gaze upon it, three disciples on their face shaking before the demonstration of everything that's going on, Peter's dumb comment, then he shuts up, listen to him, he's listening to me, all right, he's got my attention, and look at what it says next. When they looked up, Moses, gone. Elijah, gone. And they saw only Jesus. This is so powerful. It's like after the tornado goes through and it's complete silence. And you look up and the only one standing is Jesus. What is God saying? Jesus is enough. Jesus is self-sufficient and he is he's the reason we are self-sufficient. Jesus is our wisdom. Jesus is our strength. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our grace and our mercy. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is enough. And I'm telling you this to come full circle. If there's anybody in this room that is not understood or acknowledged or bowed to the awesome greatness of who Jesus is and recognized who we're talking about, I pray that you got ears to hear this morning. You could not have come to a better service than this morning. God screaming out, listen to him. Listen to him. So when Jesus say, I'm not coming here to condemn you. I come here to die for you. I come here to give my life for you. I come here to love you. I come here to shed my blood for you. I love you and want to know you so desperately. I'm willing to humble myself and take on human flesh and walk on this planet, live a perfect life, be nailed to a cross and crucified, three days later raised from the dead, ascended to the Father's right hand. But here's the thing. He is absolutely coming back. And listen, when you stand before the Lord. You will not be with all your buddies. You're not hanging out with your family, your spouse. Your wife's not going to be there to say, he really is, he really is a pretty decent guy. No, she's not going to be there with the thumbs up. You're going to be standing before, listen to me, you're going to be standing before the one whom God himself has declared, I love him, I'm proud of him, listen to this man right here. And you're not going to want to be there going, oh, I, it's all coming back to me now. I remember that Sunday I visited Living Stones and that bald guy with the eagle. He talked to me. He talked to me. That turkey, that guy, he talked to Yeah, Yeah, that guy. I want, I want the Holy Spirit to burn this in your heart and consciousness. Listen to him. Listen to him. Why? Because he loves you and because his voice speaks with absolute authority. And he's already demonstrated full proof that he's worth listening to. His name is Jesus. Stand to your feet with me this morning. And there is no marriage class today. There will be the last marriage class of the month next week. But next week we will be fully into all that into the building, which would be great. Painting will be done. It's going to be awesome. We're starting to take over more parts, but we're also losing more parts beginning next week. I'll share that with you. But here's our point this morning. I'm going to have our ministry team come up here up front if you don't know Christ listen to him bow your knee to him today invite him into your life today
Or maybe you've been far from the Lord. That's okay. You're, come on back. He's, he's with arms wide open. Come on back to him. But the rest of us, can we just worship our way out of here? If you need to go, I'm going to pray and you can slip on out. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Um, but I think of no better way than to end by just exalting Jesus, the radiant, glorious Son of God, burning with beauty and passion and fire for his Father and vice versa and for us. That's who we worship this morning. If you need prayer, some of you need healing in your body, come on down. We want to pray with you right now that God would touch you and heal you. Uh, I know of some situations this morning that we want to pray for. If, if God stirred something in your heart about maybe your fathering or about your need to reconcile with your wife or with your kids or maybe you're a wife here and you need to reconcile, hey, we want to pray with you. It's a great place. Just pe- These are normal people that love Jesus and love you, and we just want to stand with you, all right? So feel free to slip out right now and come on down if you need prayer. But Father, we thank you for your incredible endorsement of your son as a picture of who you are and as your nearness coming right into our neighborhood. Bless us, Lord, this week as we are carriers of Jesus in our own hearts. Use us for your glory, Lord. And Father, may this holiday season keep us continually in awe of who you are and of your great love for us. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Hey, let's worship. If you need to go, feel free to slip on out. If you need prayer, come on down.